the Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Knowing Podcast. I I didn't even realize until I sat down to record this actually how raspy my voice feels and sounds at the moment. (laughs) I'm sure you can hear it. Um, My partner and I have been spending a fair amount of time uh, playing music and I've been singing a lot in preparation for some recording that we're doing this weekend. And yeah, I uh, apparently am not a professional singer. So not that I'm surprised, but (laughs) this is a little intense. So uh, it is really CL. Um, I'm here just on my own for the moment, just to offer you a little introduction into our episode today. Uh, and just a hello. I hope everything is going really beautifully for you. It has been a very intense spring in our life here. Um, I suppose most you'll be hearing this in the early part of June. And uh, the rest of the world is probably in kind of a full-fledged summer by this point. But we are quite north and quite high up, and so we often have snow right up until you know, earlier parts of May, mid-May even, and so summer, spring really feels like it's just kind of hitting us right now, and uh, right on time, the mosquitoes have arrived. So our spring is uh, a kind of frenetic, chaotic experience of attempting to get the garden in before the mosquitoes arrive, and uh, this year it's it's gone really well. So I hope that it's been a um, mosquito-free and enjoyable spring for you. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be here with uh, my guest today. I'm joined by Asia Suler, who um, I have followed her work for quite some time. I think I found her on Instagram as I, as a herbalist and someone uh, with uh, a very intense connection to plants. I just sort of follow everybody who also loves plants and her words and her teachings and and just beautiful aesthetic too have been um, very, very just heart sort of warming and and mind awakening over the past few years. So um, yeah, I was uh, very honored that she was willing to come onto the podcast and I think I hope you'll really enjoy the conversation. Um, a little background, though. Asia is a writer and a teacher, and she calls herself an ecological philosopher who lives in the folds of the Blue Ridge Mountains. She's the creator and concoctress of One Willow Apothecaries, an Appalachian-grown company that offers handicraft, handcrafted, excuse me, can't even read today, herbal medicines and online education. Asia's work, which is a unique combination of herbalism, animism, Taoist stone medicine, ancestral healing, and earth-centered mysticism, is rooted in the belief that self-compassion is a force of ecological healing. And she's got a forthcoming book of nature writing that will be available for through North Atlantic Books in uh, 2022. So you can reach her at um, onewillowapothecaries.com. And I'll put into the show notes as well uh, her Instagram handle and other uh, relevant ways to get in touch with her. She has some really incredible online courses. Um, She's got a great blog. She's definitely worth a follow on Instagram and someone to um, receive a lot of not just like nature-based inspiration, but just what I 
so appreciate from what she puts out in the world is this very consistent reminder of, um, I mean, something that I, that I experienced personally, but this this love that is ever present from the natural world around us and that we have only to open ourselves to uh, in order to receive. So I really hope you enjoy the the episode. Allison will be back with me um, for the next episode. And just to give you a little uh, warning, I suppose, or uh, heads up, we have two more episodes uh, beyond this one today in this season, and then we're going to be taking a break. So uh, yeah, Allison will be here for the last two, and we've got some kind of exciting things happening. Also, uh, those of you who have reached out, and I've had quite a few people reaching out over the last few months about the new cards, and I know I've mentioned them before. They are in printing. It appears that kind of everything in the world is stalled and um, extended in the amount of time that uh, it takes to produce stuff. Also, <laughs> I was just busy, not to put it all on the the uh, production end of things. Uh, it's been super busy, and so things didn't get out to the the printers in the same timeline that I was hoping. Uh, but they will be here soon. So if you are wanting to add those two new cards to your deck, please go to theknowing.ca and sign up for the newsletter, or you can send me an email directly. But the newsletter um, pop up should show up for you there. So. Sign up there and sign up there so that you uh, get some information. I, I definitely don't inundate your mailbox by any means, but I will be sending out some information about some um, some creation work in in the next few months that I have planned and, again, some exciting things coming. So um, all the best. I'll talk soon. And just one more thing, because I totally forgot in the first intro, um, the audio in this is not particularly good. I went into town, uh, into my office about an hour away, expecting to have really good Wi-Fi because I uh, we're on satellite out where we live in the woods. And it was definitely not good um, and, and actually far worse than I ever have at home. And as you'll hear, um, there's definitely parts in the conversation between Asia and I where it glitches out and you can't hear what she's saying. I promise it doesn't go out for too long, so stick with it. Um, it's it's worth sticking around for the conversation. But I apologize. Uh, maybe I apologize mostly to uh, my partner, Brent, who is um, fairly wonderfully fanatical about audio quality. So this is, yeah, the, the maybe least uh, fantastic quality you'll in, probably uh, hear on this podcast, but I, I hope you can manage. So it's worth it. Thanks. Bye. Well, welcome, Asia. It's so amazing to have you here. I've been following your work for quite a few years and uh, always wanted to engage in conversation with you. So thank you. Oh, CL, thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to talk with you. Yeah, I really, there's, I mean, I was just sharing with you this, uh, I feel a kinship with people who live in West Virginia for whatever bizarre reason for someone from Canada, but also, I mean, the obvious, uh, just, I mean, it's it's hard to even describe, I think, the relationship when one does have a relationship with the plant world that, you know, is just so obvious in your work and your offerings in the world. And I'm just very grateful for you being in the world so oh thank you so much what yeah. a lovely thing to say yeah you're, you're amazing i wanted to actually start off with just asking you about um i mean i know a lot of people who listen to the podcast have mentioned you to me and asked if you would come on um but and they may be familiar with your sort of life story and your journey into your medicine work but um how'd you come to this how'd you get into this work 
Yeah. So really, you know, I, when I was a kid, I had a special relationship with the willow in my yard that was planted for me when I was born, which is where the name of my apothecary business came from, One Willow Apothecaries. Um, But I grew up in a very suburban environment. And even though plants were on my radar, I don't think that gateway was fully opened as a kid. And one of those reasons was I definitely grew up in an environment in the Northeast United States where there was kind of this sort of undercurrent of this belief that to be spiritual was to be unintellectual. Mm. Young age, I kind of closed the door, even though I was always really sensitive and very much, you know, sensing a lot of unseen currents in the world, but I kind of closed that, that gate because I, I wanted to be seen as smart um, and with it and rational and, you know, fast talking. I mean, all like the, you know, the, the Northeastern kind of stuff. <laughs> um, I grew up between Philadelphia and New York, just for some context. And yeah, so it wasn't until my late teens when I started developing a chronic pain condition called vulvodynia, which basically is chronic pain of the vulva. And it was a it was really a debilitating period of my life and i was having chronic yeast infections and also chronic muscular nerve pain and the doctors that i was seeing had no answers for me and so you know it eventually got to this point where i was told you know your options are to get surgery to remove nerve endings from this part of your body wow. um, or just live with severe pain for the rest of your life and one of the things I had started doing, because I, one of the things I say is that, you know, the, the life inside my body felt so painful. It was like, I had to go outside. I had to seek solace. I had to find other places to connect. I was also in college at the time. And you, know, you can imagine having this experience of chronic pain and such a tender area of your body where you're basically told not to talk about it at all in any context, let alone pain or debility. I felt very isolated. And so I started going outside and I started talking to the trees and the plants and sitting with nature. And that was my safe place. That was where I felt heard and seen. And what I kept hearing in the natural world was you can heal, was there is a way to get to the other side of this, that you don't have to take this prognosis. And which to me felt like, you know, this kind of death. And um, so I listened to that message and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to go chart my own way of healing. And so I got interested in all kinds of, you know, alternative healing modalities, including herbalism. And as time went on, I, I just basically, I graduated from college and I took any job that I could having to do with plants. So I was a landscaper for a little bit, and then I moved to New York City, and I became a plant technician, which meant I took care of people's office plants in downtown (laughs) Manhattan. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, and just over time, I was able to heal from this condition that I was told was uncurable, and it it was a complex of things that eventually healed me, including you know, facing and working with previous trauma I had had in my life, dietary changes, physical therapy, but at the the base of it was really my connection to the living world and the natural world and the messages that the plants were bringing me. Mm-hmm. And so one morning in New York City, I just woke up and I thought to myself, 
I'm going to be an herbalist. And I had, I thought I knew what that meant, but I actually really had no idea. And I showed up at herbal school here in Western North Carolina at the Chestnut School of Herbal Medicine that first day. And I realized just how little I knew (laughs) on that first day. Everybody else was talking about, you know, teas and tinctures. And I had never made a loose leaf tea before. I had no idea what a tincture was. We went around and shared our favorite plant and I was like, mint? I really (laughs) had no idea, you know, but I loved the plant so much and I felt this direct connection with them. And so I I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to stick through this. And at the time I I had gotten my Reiki master. So I was very much on this path of healing and I thought, well, I'll learn about plants so I can incorporate plants into my practice. And so now, you know, I'll understand more about plant constituents and disease process and stuff like that. So I'll feel safe incorporating it. But, you know, all along in class, I realized the thing that I was really drawn to was more of this energetic or spiritual side of working with plants because that's how they started talking to me. It's often how they asked me to work with them. And so after school ended, I got a very strong message from the natural world to open an apothecary business. And I was like, no way. That seems way too hard. Starting a business seems really overwhelming. You know, this was 10 years ago and things were really different even 10 years ago. I mean, social media was, wasn't anything like it is now. And I, I had had the opportunity to work for several female entrepreneurs growing up. So I knew the trials of having your own business. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought this seems too close. I don't know how to be an entrepreneur. The message just kept coming. So I finally just did it. I started One Willow Apothecaries and I started very small and just going to farmers markets and, you know, selling to stores around town. And I eventually started teaching because people were asking me about classes. And I realized as I was doing this work that actually I loved this, that I loved teaching and I loved being able to work with the plants. And I started doing consultation work and even though I started out giving sort of these straightforward herbal consultations, what people always came for was more of this deep heartfelt connection with the plants and this more intuitive connection to the living world. And so, you know, over time, my business and my practice evolved and I really just started embracing who I was, which was someone who is maybe really always meant to have worked in these more energetic or you might call esoteric ways of communicating with the plants and with the earth. And over time, my work has expanded to include, you know, studies and things like Taoist stone medicine, shamanism, Mm -hmm. dream work. And to me, it all is a part of just learning how to be in connection with nature again. These practices, these disciplines, I believe they were all given to us by nature and by the living world. And so we're just reclaiming these practices that I think are ancestral to all people around the world, no matter where you come from, Mm -hmm. these practices of working with the unseen medicine of nature. And so now, you know, 10 years after I started my business, that, that is really where I'm at. I teach now online classes, in person, those have been on break <laughs> since 2020. Um, but you know, I'm just I'm really passionate about this concept of helping people to reconnect to the living world, and through that reconnection, really reconnect to their spirit, their soul, and their particular journey of healing. Which I truly believe our personal journeys of healing are are a gift that we're meant to bring to this planet. Mm-hmm. 
That's amazing. It's so beautiful. That last thing you said, I want to go rewind a bit, but the concept, um, are you familiar with Bill Plotkin's work? He does Animus Institute and that idea that like our wound is the the initiatory space, you know, the, the place from which our medicine flows out into the world, you know, and if we we don't use our own healing journey. We never actually come into our own unique medicine that's that's needed for the collective. And I really get that out of your work too. And I mean, just the story, like that here's the woundedness that you experienced and that's where the medicine came from. It's not by going around it or getting rid of the symptoms and then somehow figuring out that sort of intellectual experience of like what medicine is and how it's going to show up in the world, right? And that, yeah. um, to go back to that, Asia, because... Uh, I mean, I, I suppose as a practitioner myself, people often ask, you know, like, how do I get back in contact with the natural world? And what I heard in the beginning of your story, you know, is the sort of obstruction that occurs when we over-intellectualize or we rely too heavily on the cognitive mind to be like, okay, this is what a plant does and here's its constituents and here's its, you know, mechanism of action and stuff. And and how do you help people um, I mean, I don't know as, as modern humans, if we can entirely bypass our logical minds, because they're great, right? And they're super fun. And, and it's wonderful to have this, you know, huge amount of information. But sometimes it's, I think that that immense obstruction to getting in contact with that intuitive experience. How do you help people in that? Yeah, so I think one way to do that is to befriend the mind and work with some of the mind's patterns. So Mm. one of the things in our culture is we have this delineation between animate and inanimate, right? This is an object. This is a person. And our definition of person is extremely narrow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But so one of the ways we've been trained, all of our brains have been trained to think this way. And part of our untraining, I guess, is to really start to see the world as animate and alive and full of people. Mm -hmm. So one way to do that is to literally go outside and introduce yourself to a plant. Mm -hmm. Say your name, where you're from, why you want to connect that day, compliment the plant on something you find (laughs) beautiful about them. And the thing is, and I tell this to people often, is if you haven't done this before or this isn't a practice for you, you're going to feel silly. There's kind of just no way around it, but it's actually a beautiful indicator of the kind of medicine that's happening. Because when we think about ourselves as children, when we're being silly on purpose as kids, we're recognizing what more turning them on its head. It's like putting our boot on our head and we think it's hilarious as a kid, right? Like, cause we know shoes aren't supposed to belong on our head in our culture. So when you feel silly as an adult, that's actually an indicator that you are questioning the cultural norms that you've been handed. You're playing with them. And we need that kind of energy because clearly the paradigm that we live in, the, the cultural stories that we live in are not life-giving, not for us, not for the planet. So if you feel silly, embrace that feeling. But know that when you do this exercise of introducing yourself and talking to the plant, you're actually training your brain to start recognizing plants as people. And that is a huge starting off point when you can recognize these beings in the living world as fellow people, when you can get your mind on board like that, Mm -hmm. it's much easier to then sink into your body and your somatic knowing, which Mm -hmm. never thought there was any difference between you know, you as a person and that oak as a person. As children, we have to be taught this. You know, there's a reason why a lot of children's stories, it's about 
you know, things like talking toasters or roosters that go on <laughs> journeys because they don't uh, have this delineation. Mm-hmm. And so it's really just about reprogramming ourselves and our brains so that we can just sink into the natural experiences that our bodies are always having. Mm-hmm. And so what I encounter with people when encouraging them to interact with the natural world that way is that we come up against grief at what we've done and how we've been in the world, right? Like once we start expanding our our version of what a person is to include, you know, the entire phenomenological world, we really like, there's a, there's a lot that humans have done. That's not particularly beautiful to other species in what we continue to do. Right. And, and I um, have worked with people who, you know, start opening themselves up like that. And it's like this wall of sadness and, and immense, awareness all of a sudden of like, holy shit, like this is how we've been interacting with the rest of the world as a species, you know, how do you help people with that? Yeah, well, that's very, very real. And it's an important part of the process. Mm -hmm. And it, I think with any grief, it comes in cycles. You know, for example, when you, when you first lose someone close to you in your family, for example, it can be an immense and intense period of grieving that mm-hmm. can last months, it can last years, but eventually it gets to the point where it comes and goes in cycles. You know, you'll feel fine for a long, long period of time and then something will happen. It'll be their birthday or an anniversary and it will come back up again. And I think this is the case with our grief surrounding our relationship with the natural world and what has happened mm-hmm. um, and our, you know, our role as humans and the, the, the real harm that has happened is when you first open up to the awareness of that, you're going to feel grief. You're going to feel anger and deep sadness. And it's important to feel it, to sink into it. I think developing rituals to mark that grief, to make amends, doing rituals to make reparations, Mm -hmm. um, however that, that lands for you and what land you're living on. These are all really important things. And to know that with any emotion that we feel as human beings, nothing lasts forever. And if you let yourself experience it, then you will come out the other side and feel stronger and feel like you have even an even deeper sensitivity to communicating with the beauty that exists in this world. You know, there's a quote that, you know, we only, we grieve as deeply as we loved. And so when you feel that grief, you can feel how deeply you love the world mm-hmm. and how, how deeply humans have always loved this world. And to be separated from that is a, is a powerful grief. And on the flip side of that is realizing how deeply we are loved, mm-hmm. that this planet loves us profoundly. We are, we are one of the many children uh, on this planet. And just like any, any beautiful mother, this planet does not you know, dislike some children and like others, like we are, we are loved entirely, all of us. And so there's this invitation of like, grieve as long as you need. And then when you feel that other side dawning, like, then like step into the work you're here to do, step into the medicine that you're here to give. And, you know, that work is very specific to each person you know, sometimes that work is being a practitioner or, you know, having a healing business, but sometimes that work is continuing to work the job that you're, and, 
you know, sales or a corporate environment, but you're going to start bringing these new methods of awareness to where you are. Maybe your job is to be a parent and you mm-hmm. are raising the next generation. But when we listen, the earth will will help us see what those jobs and those roles are that we are meant to fulfill. And I, I absolutely know that feeling of grief because I went through it very, very powerfully for years. And I feel grateful now that I gave myself that experience of really going there and not resisting it and really feeling it and being angry and being feeling completely torn up on the inside. Like how could things ever heal? Because now that I've moved through that experience and come out the other side, I do feel so much more intact and powerful and clear that I'm like, I see the the pain and the hurt. And I know that I didn't just come here to mourn what was lost. I came here to help birth a new world. Mm-hmm. And so I can I can tap into the the energy of the beauty and the love that is behind that grief and help and have it help me fuel that journey. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's interesting, you know, you said earlier, Asia, the, that in our society we we live within this very narrow band of what we designate to be a, a person or, you know, to have value or even to have spirit. And it's, it's like we maybe unconsciously did that and really limited like who we will love so that we don't have to maybe feel this wider range of emotion, right? I, I say to people all the time that like the, the basis of capitalism is to try to avoid feelings, right? Like we've, we've built this entire empire so that we don't have to feel certain things, you know, and we can try to avoid grief or anger or vulnerability or whatever sort of makes us uncomfortable and I mean, the, the basis of it being out of traumatized people emerging from Europe, right? But that, that, that prevents us, as you say, from existing in that, um, the continuum that is set up. When we feel grief, we get more love. When we have sadness, we have more joy, you know, and like expanding that continuum requires grief kind of at every stage of like, wow, how have I not been feeling this the whole time? But now I get to feel something more and it's that like widening circle of experience and, and connection with everything that, I mean, I definitely know is beautiful. I think I rally often with clients because I work with clients who also work with medical doctors and the medical doctors are saying, oh God, you're, you've got grief, you've got sadness. Like, how do we, how do we medicate this away or somehow placate it so you don't have to experience this? And there's still that cultural sort of emphasis that like sadness is bad, you know, and that we should be pulling people out of that. That's what healing actually is, is this mitigation of those symptoms instead of the opening up to the fullness of the experience. And it's, it's challenging because I mean, that way is kind of convenient, you know, in many ways, it's like, here, take this and and you're not going to feel this. You're not going to feel joy either, but you're not going to have to go through this this dark night of the soul, which again, I mean, Plotkin's work on the initiation process, you know, it's not pretty. It's not a, a joyful ride, but it's so deeply meaningful. And on the other side of it, you know, we have this immense connection to to all that is. Yeah, that was so beautifully put. And I, I just so deeply agree that widening of the spectrum of experience. And mm-hmm. I think when we do that, when we are in our bodies and we are really in our feelings like that alone will naturally 
change the system (laughs) over time that alone. So it is like when, yeah, when you're in that moment of like, I, this is so intense. How am I handling this to just remind yourself like, whoa, this is the work Mm -hmm. that is changing this system that we live in. And yeah, the system is, you know, has a lot of power and energy behind it. It's been going for a while in the Western world. So it's going to take a lot of power and energy to shift. And, but the cool thing is we have all that power and energy inside of us Mm -hmm. and you feel it in the, the, the felt experiences of your emotions. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I, I often say to people too, that like when they're going through that, you know, I sort of liken it to like a wind tunnel when you're in grief and it's like, you feel like you're almost being stripped away, you know, that I have this quote that always repeats in my mind from Pema Chodron of, you know, only to the extent that we expose ourselves to annihilation over and over again, will we find that which is indestructible in us. And that process, like maybe to weave it back into your story, because I know that you uh, went through Lyme disease as well. I got Lyme disease in 2011 in France, and it was like this total transformation of my personal experience of like being me and, and what kind of medicine I was working with in the world. But um, would you talk about, you know, that as like a initiation process for you? Yeah, definitely. So I contracted Lyme disease for the first time, right at the tail end of healing from five years of chronic pain. So I kind of oh, went wow. out of the frying pan wow. and into the fire and, um, I was very lucky because I caught it within a couple months of the tick bite um, because I had been camping with a bunch of different folks in a high Lyme area and I didn't know it, but other people got a bullseye and very conclusive signs. So when I started having symptoms and connected back with those folks, I was able to understand what was going on. But yeah, it was a a really powerful initiatory experience. So I actually, I got Lyme disease once and then I worked with healing for about eight months and I did the antibiotics and mm-hmm. I did, uh, you know, I did a, a specific type of acupuncture to help like sort of move this out of latency. And then I did tons of herbs and, you know, super clean diet, I mean the whole nine yards, but what really shifted the tide for me that first time was I decided to do a shamanic journey every day Mm. for a whole month. And I was shown my first day of doing this journey, I was shown sort of hovering above this landscape, like the whole landscape, almost like it was like an obstacle course. Like this is what you're going to move through in the next month. Crazy. And, um, Yeah. And so I I moved through this landscape every day. I would, you know, move further in the journey. And it felt like this series of just um, soul retrievals and, you know, initiations and clearings. And the last day I I got to, you know, sort of the end of this journey. And I, and I remember being like, this is it. I'm going to, you know, have this amazing (laughs) experience. And I remember the very last thing I was shown was this sort of warrior like looking man hovering in the sky um and it, it, he almost looked like he was wearing like an intricate chinese mask and i and i was like okay so this is like my guide i've been waiting to connect to this whole time i guess and i was like well what's what's his name and they, and they just said the word hun and i thought okay like i'm just making stuff up now <laughs> like, like you know like a chinese word and a chinese mask like okay this is like 
a little anticlimactic, but I was like, all right, whatever, I'll take it. And then I was speaking to a friend of mine uh, who was a Chinese medicine practitioner, and I was telling him about the experience. And he said, oh, well, you know, that's one of the five spirits in Chinese medicine. And at the time I hadn't studied, I didn't really started studying that. Hmm. And so I thought, really? And he said, yeah, like the Han or the Hun, spelled the same way um, in English, is considered to be the spirit that goes between earth and heaven. And it's the part of us that when we're chronically ill is said to basically be coming and going and leaving. And, and when you die, it's the, the hun the, or the hun that leaves. And I, my mind was blown. I was like, whoa, like this, like I, I literally called this spirit back into my body through this experience. And so at that point I was, I would say like, 70% of my symptoms had gone away. And I was like, this is incredible. You know, I can, I can live with this. Now this 30% of symptoms, I, I can do that. You know, like I've been doing this for years with other forms of, right. you know, chronic stuff. So, you know, I'm no stranger to this. Like I can handle some, some different things going on in my body. But then a year later, I contracted Lyme disease again. Oh, crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so this time it was a, a very interesting experience where I, I got right back on the antibiotics. I started the herbs. I thought, you know what, L -l listen, I'm not anti any kinds of medicine. I'm just, I'm throwing all the medicine at it. And within like, uh, it was a couple months of then contracting it for the second time that I was just spiraling, like mm. nothing was working. The, the herbs, the acupuncture, the, the, you know, antibiotics. And I really was in this moment where I was like, wow, this, this might be it. Like, I really might not be able to get myself to a, a place where I can feel like back to normal again. And I, I don't know if you ever really feel back to normal with any uh -huh. <laughs> initiation that you go through, but, uh, what happened was I had a dream where this white haired woman that I, I feel was me in the future came out of this log in the earth, like a fallen tree. And she had the two rattles and she gave me one and she held the other. And she said, shamanism will heal you from all. And, you know, at the time I had been doing my own shamanic journeying for years and, you know, I didn't, I didn't, um, practice shamanism per se in my personal practice with clients, but, you know, I did use elements of journeying and intuitive work and energy healing. And so I, I got this very strong message. And a couple months later, I had a friend visiting me and she was in training with the Four Winds Society. And I told her this dream and she said, if you're up for it, let's do an extraction. Huh? And I said, okay, let's do it. So we did this session. I wasn't expecting much. And this powerful healing happened. And particularly, I remember this moment where she looked into my eyes and she was speaking to the illness. Mm -hmm. And she was speaking to this illness like it was the most beloved child on earth mm -hmm. and was saying to this child, basically, you're safe to return back home. You're safe to return home to source. Like, we love you so much. We're mm -hmm. going to help you get back there. And afterwards, I remember thinking, wow, that was really powerful I felt a lot of within a week, all of the symptoms that I had been dealing with at that point for several years uh, disappeared wow. and they never came back. Hmm. And for me, I think everyone's journey is different. 
you know, with Lyme or with any kind of chronic illness, it's, it's very different. And I do still have some post Lyme things going on. Like if Mm -hmm. I overtax myself, Mm -hmm. I get these, I call them my depletion headaches, but they're basically like days long Mm -hmm. migraines Mm -hmm. where I just have to lay down. And that never was, I never had that before, but it's a sacred messenger now. And and for me, the message and the initiation of that whole experience was, this is the work you're meant to be doing. Like you are meant to be healing um, and working in the healing of these energetic and spiritual realms. And so that was what healed me, you know? So everyone's journey is different. What will heal them? Because I think it's I do think Lyme in particular is, it was really a, a teacher that's helping mm-hmm. people to really get like super clear on their path. I think a totally. lot of people who get Lyme are actually kind of already walking their path. They've already maybe even walked a good bit on it. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, ready for like PhD <laughs> in your path? Like, here you go. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was my experience with it. And it's been interesting to feel how different the energy then it was like that energy signature of those spirochetes inside my body, spirochetes being the bacteria that causes Lyme. It's like they changed. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it really, I always believed in energetic and spiritual healing, of course, because I had seen it happen and it had happened for me, but on much more sort of subtle or drawn out levels. But to have that kind of immediate powerful experience, it was it was in some ways the the initiation that I needed to feel comfortable enough really stepping into this um, next place of seeing myself as this energetic spiritual healer, um, someone who's in connection with the unseen realm it's, and, and is who who's really meant to be a teacher in those realms. And, mm-hmm. you know, it reminds me in general of, of a saying that you know, when you're, when you are a teacher, your ultimate goal is to have the student no longer need you, Mm -hmm. is to have the student become the teacher. And so that I think is a a big part of what Lyme and chronic illness in general helps us to do. It helps us, it it teaches us until Mm -hmm. we can become the teacher. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. You, I call my Lyme now my, my frenemy because I have the same thing, like post-Lyme headaches, usually like I had really neurological Lyme, but I'll get, um, like just congested sort of crazy feeling. And it's always a sign. Um, and it's a quite benevolent sign. I see it as that like, Ciel, you're doing too much or you're moving too fast. And it's it's such a, it's like this internal check system that I have, you know, which I mean, certainly has not been pleasant. And when, a, as, as you experienced, when you're in the throes of it, like it, it was just absolutely annihilating, you know, in this like, and same thing, like just throwing everything at it and going like nothing is working. Um, my, I had a really similar experience, actually. Um, I was working with a Tibetan sound healer, Pamo out of Oregon at the time. And I would call her up when I was sick and I was learning from her and she would, she didn't speak English, but she'd get me to lay down on my bed and place my arms in a particular way. And she would sing to the line and she, I, I don't know what she was saying. It was all in Tibetan, but she would sing and I could feel it like literally flying out and not in a like get out of my body sort of way but I felt like the same thing like she was calling it home or she was she was offering it something so that it knew that it didn't have to inhabit my space you know in such an aggressive way like it was and same thing like as an initiation it was like okay this is what's supposed to happen like there's no more you know like doubt or fear I suppose around like showing up in that way you have these like wonderful things on your website that I just love Asia where you're like 
I can't remember how you put it, but something like, you know, if, if, if you don't like woo, like woo is, you know, this is not for you sort of circumstance and like being able to lead with that, you know, because same thing. Like I was raised in this culture too. I love school. I love books. I love information. I don't want to be seen as a flaky person, you know? And so it was like this weird, you know, navigation in the early days of, of being a practitioner in this space of going, I want to be respected in a cognitive intellectual way, but I also know that there's magic in the world and it is unexplainable and it's subjective and it's not something that can be distilled in a double-blind placebo-controlled trial. Yes, I love science, but it, it has to recognize its own limitations, you know, and it, Lyme was that for me where like I had magical experiences in that healing process that totally transcended anything that could have been, you know, remotely possible through Western medical models or, or methods. So, oh, it's a little frozen. Can you hear me still? The audio has been on and off a little bit. But I can hear you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a funny thing to never, I mean, certainly I don't wish for people to have horrible, intense experiences like this, but again, I think we, we avoid them. We, we've been taught to see those like beckonings into initiations as things to avoid. And instead of being equipped with the appropriate tools to go through those transformations and, and come out, you know, alchemized on the other side. And I, I think, would you talk about your intuitive plant medicine course? I haven't taken it, but I get the sense that that's really, I mean, it's like you're, you're providing the tools for people to take their own leap in a sense into initiation into their own intuition and relationship with the world. Yeah. Yeah. So that course definitely is, it was a direct result of all this, all these healing experiences I went through and everything that I learned along the way, the disciplines that I trained in and I gathered it together in this course called intuitive plant medicine. And it's kind of the course that I wish I had had, totally. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it, the course is about learning how to speak directly with nature and the living world and plants in particular, and really hear the healing messages that they have to share and to be able to work from that place. So incorporating it into whatever practice you're part of, or if you don't have a practice, you know, a, a personal practice, just incorporating it into your life. I mean, I've had so many different people take the course. We've had over 3000 people in the course so far. So you can wow. imagine, you know, just really different from, you know, tax attorneys to shamanic <laughs> practitioners. I mean, you know, just a lot of different folks and, and we've gotten overwhelming feedback from people that, you know, no matter where they're coming from, that the material is life-changing because I really see the material in the course as just reintroducing what I think are just natural ancestral skills mm -hmm. of knowing how to communicate with nature and how to work with the the healing energy in nature to heal ourselves and to heal one another and to heal the planet. So mm -hmm. yeah, the course moves through things like shamanic journeying, plant channeling, connecting to your ancestors, making flower essences, working somatically mm -hmm. on the body, and then working with the body of the land as well. And um, yeah, the course continues to 
to grow as I grow. And we have a lot of really amazing bonus contributors too, who, who bring stuff that, mm. you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily an expert in, but who really expand the sort of diversity of perspective and practice. And I just love seeing that, you know, it's become this library, which have has students from all around the world who are coming and just rediscovering this essential part of themselves. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's the thing I say on the, the course pages, you know, this is a training in becoming a plant medicine person, the plant medicine person that you already are sure. and, and learning how to work with this medicine so that you can give your medicine to the world. And I, yeah. I truly believe that nature is not neutral towards us, that uh, the living world is, is constantly trying to help us realize our own goodness, realize our gifts that we have to bring to this world because they want us to come back and be a part of the fold, to be mm -hmm. a part of the co-creation. And we have a lot of power and a lot of agency in this world. And we can use that agency and power to create diversity and healing and wholeness. And so, of course, the natural world is invested in us recognizing the, the, the beauty and the medicine and the magic we have to give. Mm-hmm. I had the like honor of interviewing Robin Wall Kimmerer last year for a forum that I was doing up here. And I mean, a lot of what you're saying echoes so much of just the, the beauty of her teachings, which is like what you said earlier, Asia, of it's, uh, she says, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing to recognize that you love the earth, but when you recognize that the earth loves you in return, you know, there's this, like, that's the transformation is actually like letting it in. And, uh, you know, I was talking to a client, we, we get so <laughs> wrapped up in our human experiences, you know, and as, as you said before, we, we don't realize that there are persons, things all around us that, that we can be in relationship with. And I was talking to a client about this, you know, she was talking about just the difficulties of all her person relationships. And I said, if you go outside and you stand in the trees long enough, you'll actually feel them trying to love you. Like it's, it's not something that you have to actually make happen, but they're like, they're doing it all the time. And, and she was like, but that's a little bit weird. You know, I mean, certainly people have that response a lot, but she did it. And, and the response, like it's, it's, it is an instantaneous healing. I think when we actually remember or or even challenge our conditioning to to say like no the world does love us it it wants i mean i always joke like it wants to eat you too and it's probably going to kill you <laughs> at some point like but we you know beyond those sort of existential concerns which we probably have to make peace with is that like disease and death are, are part of our human experience just as much as the rest of it but that there is so much love being offered all the time. And it's like, we've, we've put on blinders and, and not receiving it. We're not receiving it and then craving it all the time. And it's, it's a real, yeah. I mean, a, a tragedy, but such an opportunity, like such an incredible time to be uh, of in this space and, and privy to this kind of information and, and wisdom. It's amazing. Agreed. Yeah. I feel really grateful to be alive at this time for totally. all of its challenges. It's, it's an incredible moment. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you about your dream work? Cause I, I saw on your website that you um, study with or, or work with um, Moss and I love all of his writings and teachings. I've had friends that have studied with him and stuff. How do you approach dream work in your work? Yeah. So I've always been a very vivid dreamer. I kept a dream journal starting when I was a kid and uh, when I found Robert Robert Moss's work, 
it was like he was sort of speaking this language and, and giving words to something I'd always felt, you yeah. know, just that dreaming is this portal into a deeper reality, the the wider reality of existence. And of course, he's not the first person to say this. I mean, this is a part of, I would, I would venture a guess, most indigenous belief systems. But it really helped me to, I grew up, full disclosure, I grew up with two parents who are psychologists. So oh, I wow. very much grew yeah. up with the <laughs> awareness that, you know, dreams are this portal into our psyches. Like that was clear, you know. But to get this other layer, which I always knew to be true, which is dreams as an experience in a wider spiritual reality, I'm like, oh, that is closer to home. Mm. Not that some dreams aren't reflecting back to us what's going on in our psyches. Those there's dreams like that too. But it it but that one perspective didn't account for the other kinds of dreams I had. Dreams right. where people who've passed came and visited me and gave me information I wouldn't have known otherwise, or experiences where I very much feel like I'm connecting to past lives or a wider version of myself. So these experiences and non-physical reality. So dream work is a, is a, it's a touchstone in my life. Every mm -hmm. single morning I write down my dreams. If I don't have time to write them down, I try to at least speak them out loud. And I find that if I speak them out loud, they end up getting stored in my brain in a similar way to when I write them down. Totally. And that's really where I often, I don't, often go back and even reread, even though I keep all those journals, but just by writing them, they're mm -hmm. stored in a particular way. And I can start to realize the, the, the messages behind them. And I often, it's like, I think a dream is simple and then I'll write it down or I'll speak it out. And I'll be like, that was, there was so much going on there. And I, I do think Robert Moss has come up with some really amazing tools, including the lightning dream work technique. So mm -hmm. if anyone's not familiar, it is, he has the steps listed online for free and they are in his books, but it's basically a way to, to talk to other people about dreams. And so it's called the lightning dream work technique because you're supposed to be able to do it in like five minutes um, or 10 minutes or less sitting around the breakfast table with your family or, you know, your sweetheart or your friend. And so sometimes when I don't have time to write it down, maybe I have to drive to an early appointment. I will do the lightning dream work technique with myself in the car and I'll just play both roles <laughs> and speak it out loud. And it's a really good way to get to the heart of a dream. And I also really appreciate something he says about dreams, which is dreams require action, that they are often asking something of us, um, mm -hmm. asking to make a life change or shift. And it could be big or it could be very, very small, you know, like, you know, oh, I I feel like uh, I had this this dream about skipping breakfast and it stressed me out. And so this morning I'm going to make sure that I, you know, make oatmeal right. before I leave the door, like simple stuff. But to me, Dreaming is a spontaneous nightly way to connect to what I call my wider self. Mm. Some people use the term higher self, but I like the term wider self. And it's the one that I use because it feels more, it's less hierarchical and it feels more like something I'm a part of. So mm. that lands with me. So that's the language that I use. And it's that reason because and you know, you don't have the time that day or you don't feel like you can make the time to meditate or do a journey or sit down for a channeling session, but dreams come to us no matter what. We can't mm. stop them. We can invite them closer, but they it's like it, the dream world is always showing us that this this world beyond the, the physical world is always right there and is rushing in to support us and help us and guide and navigate. So 
to me, dreams are precious in that way. And so while I appreciate things like lucid dreaming, it's not something I've practiced that much because I'm more interested in what spontaneously my wider self is trying to bring to me. Totally. You know, one of the, I don't, I, obviously you didn't experience this with Lyme, but the worst thing that I got out of Lyme disease is it stole my dreams completely. I didn't have, uh, there was the first symptom I was living in a meditation center in France and I realized I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, I didn't dream. And I like, same as you, I'd written down my dreams since I was, you know, 12 or something. And it was this, like, I'd wait to go to bed every night so that I could have these adventures and all of this like information. And then it was gone and it was completely gone for probably close to two years. Like, no, there was, it was like dead airspace when I'd fall asleep. If I actually went to sleep, I had like, I've always had insomnia, but like chronic insomnia issues with Lyme. And the interesting um, teaching that I re realized was that it, I lived so much in that realm because like that was, it was so pleasant and I was avoiding like paying my student loans and like dealing with shit in the like three third dimensional reality, you know, and like just living in that space so much. And still, like if I'm not really uh, attending to like the sort of nuts and bolts of existence, which I see as a deeply spiritual practice too, is that like we are meant to inhabit both of these, well, all of these wider realms, but I'll lose my dreams for a while. And it's like, again, the line being like, mm -mm, Seattle, you have to like go and <laughs> deal with that stuff in, in that reality. And then you can access this too, because it was, you know, I think I escaped a lot of the time by going into my dream time and just like having all of these wonderful things and these beautiful mystical experiences, and then not really dealing with the rest of the world. And I mean, it's so interesting as a human being. I, I mean, I think once people start becoming aware of how many realities we can actually inhabit, you know, and my teacher would say to me, she's like, you're in, you know, the fourth and fifth sort of dimensional experiences. She's like, I'm in the ninth and you don't even understand what this means. I'm like, no, I have no idea what that sort of transcended experience is like, but like how amazing, you know, like that we, we feel that this is reality, you know, this most people are, are in this limited space and we are so much more multidimensional. And I experienced the same with my dreams that like, it gives me this input that I, I don't want to control. You know, I don't, I want something far more intelligent than me to be offering some insight or, or perspective that I'm, I'm probably entirely not capable of in my little human experience. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I wanted to just echo that too and say that normally when I'm moving through like a really huge transition in my life, my dreams totally go offline. Totally. <laughs> it's like the very moment when you're like, please, please. send me guidance. <laughs> they just disappear. Yeah, and they're kind of totally. like, you're like, on your own okay, now. <laughs> yeah, you're on your own. Like now, like the training wheels are off. Like, yep. let's see, you totally. know, if you can implement all of this and it, you know, it's, it's something I sometimes rail against, but then I'm also, it's like, there's an element of humor to it where you're like, okay, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> here we go. That's my teacher would always say to me, she's like, you have to always remember that the universe has an exceptional sense of humor, you know? And if you don't <laughs> find that in the experience, like you're definitely taking it too seriously and you're not going to recognize the benevolent quality of it. You know, like I, it's same thing. I'd rail against it and go, why? Like, I just want my dreams. And then I'd have these, like what my Lakota teacher would call medicine or dreams, you know, those big dreams, like you were referencing where like someone would come visit me and they'd teach me a practice or, you know, and I'd be like, yes, yes, I want that. And then 
I mean, you can get attached to that. And then there's this escapism. And then, yeah, the minute that I needed to be back in this third dimension, my dreams would be like, nope, you're cut off and <laughs> you're on, you know how to deal with this, you know? And I, I'm sure you've had this experience with clients too, that sometimes, you know, that's necessary. Like you, you have medicine, we have medicine within us. People have medicine within them. Sometimes they need help in learning it and affirming it, but then there's the leaping point, you know, where like you do actually have to put it into practice in, in this earth school kind of way, you know, and it's, it's always a little bit scary, but kind of perfectly beautiful in that, you know, daunting quality of it all. So. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said. Yeah. Asia, thank you so much. You just, I, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time here and I so appreciate you um, taking time to, to connect and stuff. And again, I am so appreciative of your work and presence and everything else that you're offering in the world. Um, I know it's sort of putting people on the spot, but you know, if there was something that you would offer to people, the, the listenership of this podcast, I, I um, studied and, and was initiated by an Aymara Bolivian shaman when I lived in San Francisco and shamanism has been everything to me for the last 12 years or so. Um, and, you know, a lot of people come to this podcast because of that desire for an animistic human experience um, and this connection and belonging, you know, and I say to people all the time, like, you have your earth family and they're beautiful, but like my family are the trees. And I've always known that on some level, you know, that they are my spiritual family. Um, so that's the people that come to this are, are, you know, wanting those kind of experiences and messages and stuff. And would you offer anything to, to people as a last note? Yeah, I think we're, when this is being recorded right now, we are still in the midst of a pandemic that seems like it is, it is, you know, waning and changing. And I, and um, it's been a pretty tough year for a lot of people. And so I, I one just want to offer this moment of compassion and the invitation to sink deeper into the, the self-compassion of this moment of like, wow, you know, this has been a huge initiation that we've been going through as a collective. And so to give yourself that self-gentleness of you know, you don't expect yourself to, you know, take a huge leap in the middle of an initiation, you know, you're in it, you're in the process, you don't have to do anything else to, mm -hmm. you know, just be in that process and in whatever it looks like for you. And the, the living world is here to support you. And one of the ways that you can receive that, as you mentioned, is just to go outside and sit with the plants and invite them to fill you and show you your own goodness. And it sounds so simple, but whether or not we realize it, so often we are in doubt of our own goodness. And that that doubt is a, a source of pain for us. And it's a source of challenge for us in the world. And when we can refill with our own recognition of our own goodness, the the healing that needs to happen in this world will naturally take place. And, you know, because we are in this moment of transformation, it feels very much like the future is fluid. I don't know if, if you're feeling that, CL, or if totally. your other listeners are feeling that, but it, it feels very much like we are co-creating the future right now. Mm -hmm. um, and this doesn't have to be something that's hard or challenging. It can really just be a filling up again of, mm -hmm. of presence, of connection, of the sense of your own goodness and beauty. And the world wants to show you that. 
So if if this if this talk has has touched you in any way or you're feeling moved to do so, just get yourself outside and and let the living world show you that beauty inside of you again because that recognition of that beauty is what will help change the world and what will help in this fluid shifting time to really call the world we want to see mm-hmm. into being. Mm-hmm. Thank you. The Knowing is an IntelliKey production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sequipnik people. All music, editing, and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is. Thank you.